0: This is the New Yorker Fiction Podcast from The New Yorker magazine. I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor at The New Yorker. Each month, we invite a writer to choose a story from the magazine's archives to read and discuss. This month, we're going to hear two pieces by Jamaica Kincaid, one called
1: Girl and the other called Wingless. Perhaps I stand on the brink of a great discovery, and perhaps after I've made my great discovery, I will be sent home in chains
0: they were chosen by Edwidge Danticat, whose fiction and essays have been appearing in The New Yorker since 1999. Her novels include Breath, Eyes, Memory, and The Dewbreaker. Her new book, Claire of the Sea Light, will be out in August. Edwidge joins us from the studios of WLRN in Miami. Hi, Edwidge. Hi, Deborah. Now, when did you first read Jamaica Kincaid's work? Do you remember what effect it had on you at the time?
1: Yeah, I I read her in college. She was coming to our campus and it feels like this was the first real writer I had seen in person. I can't be you know hundred percent sure, but I just remember her coming to the campus. And every time I go on a campus now, I have this sort of as my vision of sort of what people are expecting of me because I was so like blown away by her. You, know? <laughs> you have to live up to that now. <laughs> exactly. I thought, oh my gosh, if people are just expecting that, then I'm in trouble. Just the first time I encountered her work when I heard her read it especially her short pieces, are meant to be read out loud. You know, they, they feel like they're like poems. So they had a very powerful effect on me in the sense that, you know, they expended for me the idea, the notion of what you can do with fiction and the sentence structures, the, the long sentences, the repetition, all the stuff that she's known for, I was just encountered for the first time when I, when I heard her read her work.
0: And did you already at that point think that that you were going to be writing yourself?
1: Yes, I you know, it was my it was still my secret <laughs> <laughs> and I was just starting to, to share it with a few people. But I think you're the most influenced by these sorts of encounters, whether it's with a writer in person, whether it's a work when you're a baby writer. Mm-hmm. And you're just a sponge. And so I knew at that point that I wanted to write. The fact that she was, you know, a black woman from the Caribbean also just was so powerful to me. Because at that time, there weren't of that many of us visible in the writing world. Kincaid moved to the
0: U.S. from Antigua when she was 17. And you moved here from Haiti when you were 12. Did you feel that that kind of overlap in your trajectories was important in the work, that it was why the work spoke to you?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there were so many things that I felt I could recognize, you know, certainly the the descriptions of the setting, the themes, you know, in much of her work, she describes this very difficult mother-daughter relationships. I had spent most of my childhood without my mother, but I had a lot of, you know, surrogate mothering. And so the the themes that she addressed in her work, migration, uh, mother-daughter relationships, even, you know, this relationship with the the motherland, which can sometimes be also a very difficult relationship. All of these issues, to me, were, were things that I was sorting out. I didn't think necessarily that I was going to be writing about them, but that I was sorting them out in my own life.
0: Well, Kincaid started writing talk of the town pieces for The New Yorker in 1976, and she published Girl, which was her first piece of fiction in the magazine in 1978, and Wingless in 1979 when she was 29. So these these two pieces came quite early in her career as a fiction writer. Do you think that they're characteristic of, of the work that followed? Did they set the tone?
1: I think they definitely set the tone. I've um, just recently finished her new book, See Now Then, mm-hmm. and segments of the the book have some of the same feel as Girl, an extraordinary lyricism and the long sentences. Girl is actually one long sentence, and and there's that sense of, Uh, repetition. You feel like as though you're reading poetry, even if it doesn't say Jamaica Kincaid, you know when you pick up uh, a piece of fiction by Jamaica Kincaid, it's so easily identifiable as her.
0: Well, we're going to start now with the story Girl. Is there anything that you want to tell us about it before you read it?
1: It speaks for itself. It's (laughs) It's a mother sort of giving instructions to her daughter, and it's probably one of the most anthologized stories in the English-speaking world. But <laughs> but I wanted to read it anyway because I love it so much. Well,
0: great. Now we'll hear why. Here's Edwidge Danticat, Reading Girl by Jamaica Kincaid.
1: Wash the white clothes on Monday and put them on the stone heap. Wash the color clothes on Tuesday and put them on the clothesline to dry. Don't walk bare in the hot sun. Cook pumpkin fritters in very hot sweet oil. Soak your little cloths right after you take them off. When buying cotton to make yourself a nice blouse, be sure that it doesn't have gum in it, because that way it won't hold up well after a wash. Soak saltfish overnight before you cook it. Is it true that you sang Benna in Sunday school? Always eat your food in such a way that it won't turn someone else's stomach. On Sundays, try to walk like a lady and not like the slut you're so bent on becoming. Don't sing Benna in Sunday school. You mustn't speak to wharf-right boys, not even to give directions. Don't eat fruits on the street. Flies will follow you. But I don't sing Bena on Sundays at all, and never in Sunday school. This is how to sew on a button. This is how to make a buttonhole for the button you have just sewed on. This is how to hem a dress when you see the hem coming down. And so, to prevent yourself from looking like the slut, I know you are so bent on becoming. This is how you iron your father's khaki shirt, so that it doesn't have a crease. This is how you iron your father's khaki pants, so that they don't have a crease. This is how you grow okra far from the house, because okra tree harbors red ants. When you are growing dasheen, make sure it gets plenty of water, or else it makes your throat itch when you are eating it. This is how you sweep a corner this is how you sweep a whole house. This is how you sweep a yard. This is how you smile to someone you don't like too much. This is how you smile to someone you don't like at all. This is how you smile to someone you like completely. This is how you set a table for tea. This is how you set a table for dinner. This is how you set a table for dinner with an important guest. This is how you set a table for lunch. This is how you set a table for breakfast. This is how to behave in the presence of men who don't know you very well. And this way, they won't recognize immediately the slut I have warned you against becoming. Be sure to wash every day, even if it is with your own spit. Don't squat down to play marbles. You are not a boy, you know. Don't pick people's flowers. You might catch something. Don't throw stones at blackbirds, because it might not be a blackbird at all. This is how to make a bread pudding. This is how to make dukona. This is how to make pepper pot. This is how to make a good medicine for a cold. This is how to make a good medicine to throw away a child, before it even becomes a child this is how to catch a fish this is how to throw back a fish you don't like and that way something bad won't fall on you this is how to bully a man this is how a man bullies you this is how to love a man and if this doesn't work there are other ways and if they don't work don't feel too bad about giving up. This is how to spit up in the air if you feel like it. And this is how to move quick so that it doesn't fall on you. This is how to make ends meet. Always squeeze bread to make sure it's fresh. But what if the baker won't let me feel the bread? You mean to say that after all, you are really going to be the kind of woman who the baker won't let near the bread?
0: That was Girl by Jamaica Kincaid, which was published in The New Yorker in 1978 and collected in her book At the Bottom of the River. Edwidge, we'll talk about Girl in a moment, but first let's hear the next story, Wingless. Is there anything that you think we should listen for in this one?
1: Just listen for the words. <laughs> it's just It's hard to, I think, pin down these stories. They're just... They sound so beautiful, and it's like butterfly wings is the only thing I can think of, (laughs) but just, just listen. Great.
0: Now here's Edwidge Danticat reading Wingless by Jamaica Kincaid.
1: The small children are reading from a book filled with simple words and sentences. Once upon a time, there was a little chimney sweep whose name was Tom. He cried half his time and laughed the other half. You would have been giddy, perhaps, at looking down, but Tom was not. You, of course, would have been very cold sitting there on a September night without the least bit of clothes on your wet back, but Tom was a water baby and therefore felt cold no more than a fish. The children have already learned to write their names in beautiful penmanship. They have already learned... How many farthings make a penny? How many pennies make a shilling? How many shillings make a pound? How many days in April? How many stone in a ton? Now they sing-song here and tumble there, tearing skirts with swift movements. Must Dulcie really cry after thirteen of her play chums have sat on her? there Dulcie there. I myself have been kissed by many rude boys with small, damp lips on their way to boys' drill. I myself have humped girls under my mother's house. But I swim in a shaft of light, upside down, and I can see myself clearly, through and through, from every angle. Perhaps I stand on the brink of a great discovery, and perhaps, after I've made my great discovery, I will be sent home in chains. Then again, perhaps my life is as predictable as an insect and I am in my pupa stage. How low can I sink then? That woman over there, that large-bottomed woman, is important to me. It's for her that I save up my sixpences instead of spending for sweets. Is this a love like no other? And what pain have I caused her? And does she love me? My needs are great, I can see. But there are the children again, of which I am one, shrieking whether in pain or pleasure, I cannot tell. The children who are beautiful in groupings of three and who only last night pleaded with their mothers to sing softly to them are today maiming each other. The children at the end of the day have sour necks, frayed hair, "'dirt under their fingernails, scuffed shoes, torn clothing. "'And why? First, they must be children. "'I shall grow up to be a tall, graceful, and altogether beautiful woman, "'and I shall impose on large numbers of people my will, "'and also, for my own amusement, great pain. "'But now I shall try to see clearly.' I shall try to tell differences. I shall try to distinguish the subtle gradations of color and fine cloth, of fingernail length, of manners. That woman over there, is she cruel? Does she love me? And if not, can I make her? I am not yet tall, beautiful, graceful, and able to impose my will. Now I swim in a shaft of light and can see myself clearly. The schoolhouse is yellow and stands among big green-leaved trees. Inside are our desks, and a woman who wears spectacles playing the piano. Is a girl who can sing gaily the Troubadour plucked his guitar in a pleasing way, worthy of being my best friend? There is the same girl, unwashed and glistening, setting traps for talking birds. Is she to be one of my temptations? Oh, this must be a love like no other. But how can my limbs that hate be the same limbs that love? How can the same limbs that make me blind make me see? I am defenseless and small. I shall try to see clearly. I shall try to separate and divide things as if they were sums, as if they were dry goods on the grocer's shelves. Is this my mother? Is she here to embarrass me? What shall I say about her behind her back when she isn't there long after she has gone? In her smile lies her goodness. Will I always remember that? Am I horrid? And if so, Will I always be that way? Not getting my own way causes me to fret, so I clenched my fist. My charm is limited, and I haven't learned to smile yet. I have picked many flowers and then deliberately torn them to shreds, petal by petal. I am so unhappy. My face is so wet. And still, I can stand up and walk and tell lies in the face of terrible punishments, I can see the great danger in what I am, a defenseless and pitiful child. Here is a list of what I must do. So, is my life to be like an apprenticeship and dressmaking, a thorny path to carefully follow or avoid? Inside, standing around the spectacled woman playing the piano, the children are singing a song in harmony. The children's voices, pinks, blues, yellows, violets, all suspended. All is soft, all is embracing, all is comforting. And yet I myself, at my age, have suffered. My tears, big, have run down my cheeks in uneven lines. My tears, big, and my hands too small to hold them. My tears have been the result of my disappointments. My disappointments stand up and grow even taller. They will not be lost to me. There they are. Let me pin tags on them. Let me have them registered like newly domesticated animals. Let me cherish my disappointments, fold them up, tuck them away, close to my breast, because they are so important but again I swim in a shaft of light upside down and I can see myself clearly through and through from every angle over there I stand on the brink of a great discovery and it is possible that like an ancient piece of history my presence will leave room for theories but who will say for days My body has been collecting water, but still, I won't cry. What is that to me? I am not yet a woman with a terrible and unwanted burden. I am not yet a dog with a cruel and unloving master. I am not yet a tree growing on barren and bitter land. I am not yet the shape of darkness in a dungeon. Where? What? Why, how then? Oh, that. I am primitive and wingless. Don't eat the strings on bananas. They will wrap around your heart and kill you. Oh, is that true? No? Is that something to tell children? No, but it's so funny. You should see how you look trying to remove all the strings from the bananas with your monkey fingernails. Frightened? Frightened. Very frightened. Today, keeping a safe distance, I followed the woman I love when she went for a walk on a carpet of pond lilies. As she walked, she ate some black nuts, pond lily black nuts. She walked for a long time, saying what must be wonderful things to herself. Then, in the middle of the pond, she stopped, because a man had stood up suddenly in front of her. I could see that he wore clothes made of tree bark and sticks in his ears. He said things to her, and I couldn't make them out, but he said them to her so forcefully that drops of brown water sprang from his mouth. The woman I love put her hands over her ears, shielding herself from the things he said. Then he put wind in his cheeks and blew himself up until in the bright sun he looked like a boil, and the woman I love put her hands over her eyes, shielding herself from the way he looked. Then, instead of removing her cutlass from the folds of her big and beautiful skirt and cutting the man in two at the waist, she only smiled, a red, red smile. And like a fly, he dropped dead. The sea, the shimmering, pink-colored sand, the swimmers with hats, two people walking arm in arm, talking in each other's faces, dots of water landing on noses, the sea spray on ankles, on overdeveloped calves, the blue, the green, the black, so deep, so smooth, a great and swift undercurrent, glassy, the white wavelets, a storm so blinding that the salt got in our eyes, the sea turning inside out, shaking everything up like a bottle with sediment, a boat with two people heaving a brown package overboard, the mystery, the sharp teeth of that yellow spotted eel, the wriggle, the smooth lines, open mouths, families of great noisy birds, families of great noisy people, families of biting flies, the sea following me home, snapping at my heels all the way to the door, the sea, the woman. I have frightened you? Again, you're frightened of me? You have frightened me. I am very frightened of you. Oh, you should see your face. I wish you could see your face. How you make me laugh. And what are my fears? What large cows? When I see them coming, shall I run and hide face down in the gutter? Are they really cows? Can I stand in the field of tall grass and see nothing for miles and miles? On the other hand, the sky which is big and blue as always, has its limits. This afternoon, the wind is loud as in a hurricane. There isn't enough light. There is a noise. I can't tell where it is coming from. A big box has stamped on it, Handle carefully. I have been in a big white building with curving corridors. I have passed a dead person. There's the woman I love. Is so much bigger than me. That mosquito, now a stain on the wall. That lizard, running up and down, up and down, now so still. That ant, bloated and sluggish, a purse full of eggs in its jaws, now so still. That blue and green bird, head held aloft, singing, now so still, that land crab, moving slowly, softly, even beautifully, sideways, but now, so still, that cricket, standing on a tree stem, so ugly, so revolting, I am made so unhappy, now, so still, that mongoose, Now asleep in its hole, now stealing the sleeping chickens, moving so quickly, its eyes like two grains of light, now so still. That fly, moving so contentedly from tea bun to tea bun, now so still. That butterfly, moving contentedly from beautiful plant to beautiful plant, in the early morning sun now so still that tadpole swimming playfully in the shallow water now so still i shall cast a shadow and i shall remain unaware my hands brown on this side pink on this side now and discriminately dangerous now vagabond and prodigal, now cruel and careless, now without remorse or forgiveness, but now innocently slipping into a dress with braided sleeves, now holding an ice cream cone, now reaching up with longing, now clasped in prayer, now feeling for reassurance, now pleading my desires. Now pleasing, and now, even now, so still in bed, in sleep.
0: That was Wingless by Jamaica Kincaid, which was published in The New Yorker in 1979 and also collected in her book of stories at the bottom of the river, published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. So, Edwidge, neither of these stories are conventional narratives with plots and beginnings and ends. Girl is a string of advice and warnings from a mother to a daughter. Wingless is more of a kind of impressionistic prose poem. What appeals to you most about these stories? Is it the, the playfulness with form? Is it the voice?
1: The use of language, certainly, definitely the playfulness of form. It's poetry bleeding into prose, and I just really like the flow the flow it's sort of in girl you have this conversational flow that slips into a dialogue uh, just a little bit of replying from the girl herself with a little bit of back and forth and then in wingless you know it's just it's a stream of consciousness it's there's a lot of water in the piece and it it flows like water in both stories you have a sense that this is someone who is looking forward to separating from the situation you know she' says I'm in my pupa stage and what is the next stage seems to be what she's aspiring to find out or to discover
0: right she's going to fly away mm-hmm. or possibly become a slut
1: mm-hmm. if you
0: if you believe the mother and girl what,
1: yeah, what you... not if her mother has anything to do with it
0: <laughs> <laughs> what what do you make of the list of instructions and in girl i mean it's what kind of education is this? Are these is it normal for a mother to teach her child how to cook pumpkin fritters and how to how to abort a baby at the same time? I mean what is what's going on in that list of things?
1: Well, I think if you come from a small place, a poor place, where your way of surviving, you know, the way to succeed in the society is to be a certain way. Your internal life is not Going to be necessarily prioritized. It's sort of how people look at you if you're, you're considered a lady. I think her her mother in this particular contest, the character's mother, is giving her sort of the rules for survival in this society. This is how you become a lady here. It's not it's not always um, pleasant, you know. Sort of this is the rules. It's not a place where a girl is necessarily celebrated for other things than what the mother is telling her. So if you were to be different, too much different than that, then you would be a slut. <laughs> so I think I think she the mother is giving telling her what the rules are and probably the mother herself were told these things by her own mother. So it's there's a kind of continuity and you could tell sort of the way the girl responds, probably this mother did not respond to her mother but we see sort of a sliver of hope in this girl asking questions and responding and that's what the mother is trying to sort of ring ring out of her
0: right oh she only she only breaks in two times and one mm-hmm. is one is to deny that she's been singing banna in Sunday school which is um singing gossip right mm-hmm. or rumors and and the other one is is at the end to say, well, you know, what should she do if the baker doesn't let her squeeze the bread? Why do you think those are the two things that cause her to speak out? She doesn't respond to the her mother repeatedly saying she's going to become a slut, but she responds to these two things.
1: Well, because these two things involve other people. You know, they're sort of public shaming. The first one is in church. Oh, my gosh. You know. <laughs> I used to I used to read romance novels in church, and <laughs> when I was when I was maybe about this girl's age, and when word got to my father, the deacon, that I was reading romance you know holoquin books in church, it was scandalous. You know, I think those things where there's a public shaming, not only make you look bad, but also make your your mother look bad. So I think those probably were the worst crimes. And that's why she she probably spoke up to defend herself,
0: right? And why would the baker not let her squeeze the bread?
1: Well, because her hand she doesn't know the baker doesn't know where her hands have been. <laughs> 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 yeah, and I mean I don't I wouldn't want bread that has been squeezed anyway. <laughs> yeah, but her
0: mother's telling her to squeeze it <laughs> to squeeze
1: the bread. Yeah. Um, But I guess only ladies, you know, will be allowed to squeeze the bread. I can see that happening. Right. You'd have to take off your gloves to squeeze that bread.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, in Wingless, you know, as you've been saying, it's like a poem. It's so loose in form and repetitive and cyclical. And these things keep coming up, water and death and childhood and love and, and so on. Is there an actual narrative there? Is there something specific happening beyond the fact that this girl is starting school?
1: I saw it as sort of going through school, through recess, and then there's these other things in the school day. Um, She tells a little bit of, sort of it's, uh, there seems to be a more expended version of this in Annie John, which was her first, Jamaica King's first novel. And it's sort of all the things that happen in school, and I see this—you know—the the teacher who plays the piano, the other students, the penmanship—as the structured part of the day. You know, they're in school, and then they go off to recess, and and there's the woods, and there's the water, and there's—I—I I, I think there—the narrative—it just leaves open all these different ways that you can read it. You can read it that way, or you can read it as a as a kind of folktale. I. The more the morbid side of me right. sees it as sort of this this girl who was drowned, and this is her sort of a spirit telling us the story. I think there are just many possible ways that you can read it. There's many narrative threads that you can pick up in it.
0: Yeah, Kincaid opens the story with these lines from the Charles Kingsley book, The Water Babies, and that's a book in which Tom, the boy who's sort of an abused orphan, escapes from this malicious chimney sweep who's enslaved him, and he sort of rediscovers himself as a kind of water creature. And I, I just realize this is kind of tying into your theory of this narrator as a drowned child, though Tom's drowning is a happy one. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think she's trying to say with these water babies references?
1: Well, I remember going through sort of my rebellious teens, which wasn't that rebellious. It was mostly fantasy, but whenever I was mad at my parents, I would always think, wouldn't you be sorry if I died? I mean, it sounds like it's <laughs> such a horrible thing, but I see a little bit of that too in sort of fantasizing, you know, we all, when we're young and unhappy, especially if we have a parent like this character, mm-hmm. you know, we sort of fantasize ourselves into nature. And nature seems to be the only constant, you know, and nature has so much power. And she says so often, the narrative of the story, how she feels powerless, how she has her tears coming down her face. And maybe it seems the Tom connection here is that she's realizing the most powerful force around is nature. It's suddenly you're realizing it's not mother, it's not a parent, it's not something, necessarily the things that are controlling you, but there are these larger forces, there are these forest spirit there's just the sea the sea there's so much about the sea the sea is so beautiful yet so also so menacing there
0: what's surprising to me in this story is that this moment of starting school is in a way her separation from her mother and Mm -hmm. it's her her sort of launching into a more independent life and yet there's so much fear in this story Mm -hmm. and and so much malevolence in the landscape this this constant shifting and, and threatening. You go from these, you know, peaceful waves to, to a huge storm and nothing is quite what it seems and nothing is safe.
1: But that is often the life of a girl child and in certain places, you know, and in an island like this, uh, this is the thing that the mother is warning her against, and that's sort of the ground is always could always be shifting under your feet. You know, first you have Mother Nature, you have menacing forces, spirits, people, you know, and even the men in the woods can be an actual person who wants to hurt a little girl. So there's, you know, there's always so much um, danger lurking. And at the point where in this narrative where we catch this girl, you know, she's acknowledging the dangers. It's not all magical. You know, it's not all fantasy. It's not all beautiful. She's she's discovering the dangers and they're vivid and they're strong because um, she's realizing, you know, that the world is not necessarily always a, a, a safe place.
0: People are so often tempted to read Kincaid's work through this sort of prism of colonialist theory or post-colonialist theory. Do you think there's any value to looking at it that way? Do you think there's some metaphor here?
1: Well, you know, coming from the places that she and I come from, we'll never avoid that yeah. that that lens. But she gives us so much more, you know, I think I mean I think that's the that's the beauty of her work. It's at times so intimate, you know, so personal that it is often, you know, even as she resists it, it's often called autobiography. Yet at the same time there are larger ideas and other things there. So, I mean, it can be read on so many, on so many scopes. It's very rare that you have a writer who's read in that whole range where people would say, you know, it's so autobiographical, yet it's, you know, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's also post theory, you know. Yeah, Kudos to her important. for traveling that wide path, you yeah. know, even perhaps without meaning to. But I think it's because she gives us so much that she can be read in that, that whole range of ways.
0: Well, thank you so much, Edwige.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure.
0: Edwige Danticat is the author of the memoir Brother I'm Dying and a book of essays, Create Dangerously, The Immigrant Artist at Work. You can hear Edwige read and discuss a story by Juno Diaz on a 2007 episode of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast. You can also hear Juno Diaz read and discuss one of Edwige's stories in a 2009 podcast. Just search for their names on newyorker.com or download the podcast directly from the iTunes store, where you can also subscribe. You can download the weekly audio edition of The New Yorker through iTunes or audible.com or join the conversation on our Facebook page. The New Yorker Fiction Podcast is produced by newyorker.com and Curtis Fox Productions. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening.